Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 3, Episode 7. Last week, I wrapped up at the end of Exodus, Chapter 28. Having worked through several of the chapters where God tells Moses how he was to be worshipped. If you missed that episode, you should really go back and give it a listen. This week, I'm summarizing Exodus chapters 29 through 34, continuing through the worship instructions and the appearance of a golden calf. So let's get started. Chapter 29 begins with God giving Moses extremely specific instructions on how to prepare offerings and sacrifices. By our modern standards, it's actually a bit gory. But the Israelites, like probably all of the peoples of the era, were used to slaughtering their meals. Today, not so much. To be brief, God tells Moses to have Aaron and his sons take one young bull and two rams without blemish, and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers spread with oil. The bread should be made of the choicest wheat flour. The bread is brought in and offered. The bull is slaughtered, and certain parts are burned, while other, unclean parts are removed to outside of the Israelites' camp. The rams, and unlike the bull, all of the ram is burnt. The sacrifice of one ram is relatively simple but the blood of the other realm is supplied to various surfaces and on the priest. Some of the meat from one of the realms is to be retained by the priest, presumably for them to consume. God goes on to tell Moses that a bull must be sacrificed daily in atonement for their sins. Also, every day, two one-year-old lambs are to be sacrificed, one in the morning and the other in the evening, and God is very specific as to what they are to be offered with, from the text. With the first lamb, one-tenth of a measure of choice flour, mixed with one-fourth of a hen of beaten oil, and one-fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer in the evening, and shall offer it with a grain offering and its drink offering, as in the morning. For a pleasing odor, an offering by fire to the Lord." End quote. As a note, a hen is a liquid measurement equal to about five and a half quarts, or five liters. The chapter ends with God reminding Moses that, I will dwell among the Israelites, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. And with the end of the quote is also the end of the chapter. Chapter 30 begins with God detailing how to make an altar on which incense will be burned. Like most of the other wooden structures, this too is to be made from acacia wood. The wood was covered with pure gold and had gold rings attached to it so that it could be carried in a manner similar to the Ark of the Covenant. Twice daily, Aaron would burn incense and nothing else on it. Next, God tells Moses that all of the Israelites, well, most of them, will pay for the upkeep of the tabernacle. And the way the mandatory offering was formulated was a flat amount, not progressive, from the text. When you take a census of the Israelites to register them, 
at registration all of them shall give a ransom for their lives to the Lord, so that no plague may come upon them for being registered. This is what each one who is registered shall give. Half a shekel according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is twenty jerries. Half a shekel as in an offering to the Lord. Each one who is registered from twenty years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. End quote. Shekels and jerries will be covered later. And God tells Moses that all must give so that it will be a reminder to the Israelites of the ransom given for their lives. He then tells Moses that they are to build a bronze basin so that the priest can wash their hands and feet prior to performing their rituals. Next, God gives Moses the recipe for the anointing oil. Take the finest spices of liquid myrrh 500 shekels and of sweet-smelling cinnamon half as much, that is, 250, and 250 of aromatic cane, and 500 of cassia, measured by the sanctuary shekel, and a hen of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil." Myrrh, cinnamon, aromatic cane, and cassia, all to be covered later. And what is this oil to be used for? God tells Moses this too. With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of the covenant, and the table and all of its utensils, and the lampstand and its utensils, and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all of its utensils, and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them, so that they may be most holy. Whatever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons, and consecrate them, in order that they may serve me as priest. He shall say to the Israelites, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be used in any ordinary anointing of the body, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an unqualified person, shall be cut off from the people." End quote. Obviously, a very sacred mixture, so don't try making it at home. The chapter ends with God revealing to Moses the formula for the holy incense. Take sweet spices, stacked, anica, and galbinum, sweet spices with pure frankincense, an equal part of each, and make an incense blended as by the perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. You shall beat some of it into powder, and put part of it before the covenant in the tent of meeting, where I shall meet with you. It shall be for you most holy. When you make incense according to this composition, you shall not make it for yourselves, it shall be regarded by you as holy to the Lord. Whoever makes any like it to use as perfume shall be cut off from the people." End quote. And now, we see the precursor to the three gifts brought by the Magi some 1,000 years later. Stacked, Annika, Galbinum, and Frankincense ought to be covered later, too. And with that, the chapter ends. 
Chapter 31 begins with God identifying, by name, who is going to build everything he just described in detail. Think of these two men as a combination of general contractor and artist. From the text, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with divine spirit, with ability, intelligence, and knowledge in every kind of craft, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood, in every kind of craft. Moreover, I have appointed with him Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given skill to all the skillful, so that they may make all that I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, and the ark of the covenant, and the mercy seat that is on it." End quote. And the passage continues on to describe everything else they will build. But you should get the point. God spends the next paragraph reiterating how important it is to keep the Sabbath, this time saying that whoever violates it shall either be put to death or cut off from the people. And the chapter ends with God giving Moses two tablets of the covenant, written by God himself. For clarity, the New Revised Standard Version calls them the tablets of the covenant. The New International calls them the tablets of the covenant law. And the King James refers to them as the two tables of testimony. Three names for the same two tables. Moving along. Now things take a dramatic turn in chapter 32. And just for a moment, try to put yourselves in the Israelites' shoes, or sandals. Moses had been gone for 40 days and nights. But the Israelites could see a devouring fire at the top of Mount Sinai, a fire that was the manifestation of God. And they had previously promised God that they would stick by him and worship him. So what was their reaction to Moses having been gone for so long? Well, they took some of the looted gold and forged themselves an idol, a false god, a golden calf. Oh, the people of Israel. And who was leading this? None other than Aaron, the man God had identified as deserving of the role of chief priest. Of course, it should come as no surprise that this makes God angry. After all he had just done for them, he said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people, whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt, have acted perversely. They have been quick to turn aside from the way I commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of a calf, and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them. And of you I will make a great nation." End quote. For what it's worth, stiff-necked people are thought to be stubborn, untractable, and not to be led. I will cover the proposed origin of this phrase later, but it involves oxen, and is used many times by both God and Moses to refer to the Israelites. Back to the text. Moses then interceded on behalf of the people, saying, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, 
whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out to kill them in the mountains, and they consumed them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath, change your mind, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them by your own self, saying to them, I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all of this land that I have promised I will give to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord changed his mind about the disaster that he planned to bring on his people. End quote. That's right. Moses changed God's mind. Moses then proceeded down the mountain and hears the partying Israelites as he drew closer. And despite having been told by God what was going on, he loses his temper. So much so that when he sees the calf, he threw the tablets from his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made, burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. End quote. Moses then asked Aaron how this came to be. And Aaron had his woman made me do it moment. Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are bent on evil. They said to me, Make us gods, who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Whoever has gold, take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. End quote. Seriously, Aaron said the calf magically appeared. Moses' next step was, to me at least, a bit unexpected. From the text, when Moses saw that the people were running wild, for Aaron had let them run wild, to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you. Go back and forth from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill your brother, your friend, your neighbor. The sons of Levi did as Moses commanded, and about 3,000 of the people fell on that day. Moses said, Today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of a son or brother, and so have brought a blessing on yourselves this day. End quote. In my mind, Moses had had enough. It was time to take charge. The next day, Moses addressed the people, telling them that they had sinned greatly. But then he says that he personally will go to God to atone for their sins. And he does, saying, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of the book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. 
See, my angel shall go in front of you. Nevertheless, when the day comes for punishment, I will punish them for their sin. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people, because they had made the calf, the one that Aaron made. End quote. And with that, the chapter ends. And what a chapter it was. Chapter 33 begins with God telling the Israelites to leave Sinai. And he's still fuming from their idol worship. He tells them that he won't be joining them on a trip, but will still leave an angel to lead them. And he reiterates they are a stiff-necked people. Now, he does renew his promise to drive out the people currently inhabiting the promised land. He's mad, but he hasn't abandoned them. In the next part of the narrative, we are finally let in the loop on the thing called the Tent of the Meeting. It's been referred to a few times previously, but not too much detail was given until now from the text. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. He called it the Tent of Meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the Tent of Meeting. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people would rise and stand, each of them, at the entrance of their tents and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. When all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down, all of them at the entrance of their tent. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. Then he would return to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the tent." And that one little part in there is curiously reassuring. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as one speaks to a friend. And, just as the previous passage alluded to, the chapter ends with God and Moses in conversation, with Moses asking God to continue the journey with him, and therefore the Israelites. Then God speaks, I will do the very thing that you have asked. Moses then asks for God to physically reveal himself to him. God answers, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continued, See, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen." And with that, the chapter ends. Chapter 34 begins with God telling Moses how he is to replace the stone tablets he previously broke. God told him to cut out two tablets of stone, just like the previous ones. Then, he alone is to ascend Mount Sinai, and God will rewrite the tablets. Of course, Moses does as he is told, and when he gets to the top, and God comes down to him, 
Moses again begs God to continue to accompany the Israelites on their journey. God addresses Moses and makes a covenant with him, and therefore the Israelite people. If the people obey God, he will perform miracles and drive the inhabitants of Canaan out. But the Israelites must do as they are commanded. God orders them not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of Canaan, warning them that doing so would be a trap. Instead, they are to tear down their altars, break their pillars, and cut down their sacred poles. This way, they do not end up worshiping the Canaanites' gods. The sons of the Israelites are to marry the daughters of the Israelites. That way, the bloodlines are kept separate, and they will be less likely to worship false gods. God reiterates that they will not cast any idols. Also, they are required to celebrate the Festival of Unleavened Bread, the Passover, the Festival of Weeks, the First Fruits of Wheat Harvest, and the Festival of Ingathering at the turn of the year. Their firstborn sons are to serve as a sign from God. The firstborn male livestock are to be sacrificed to God. No one shall appear before God empty-handed, meaning everyone is required to make an offering. The best of the first fruits of their ground they will bring up to the house of the Lord. God also reiterated the requirement to keep the Sabbath. He told them three times in the year all of the adult males were to appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. He also repeated that they were not to boil a kid in its mother's milk. And most of these were merely repeats of what they had been told before. But God knew they were a stiff-necked people and apparently in need of redundancy. Again, Moses ended up staying on the mountain for 40 days and nights and we are told that the whole time he neither ate nor drank. And when he came back, he came back a changed man. Seriously. And it wasn't because he was starving. We're told that when he descended the mountain and rejoined the Israelites, the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation finally came up to him and Moses addressed them, giving them the commandments. From that point forward, when with the Israelites, Moses wore a veil. He only took it off when he was in the presence of God, and with that, the chapter ends. And that's probably a good place to end this episode. But before I sign off and roll the credits, to summarize, in the future, I will be covering the Festival of Weeks, Shekels and Jerez, Myrrh, Cinnamon, Aromatic Cane, Cassia, Stacked, Annika, Galbinum, and Frankincense. Join me next week when I'll restart the summary of Exodus in Chapter 35. You don't want to miss it. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. This week, please go to iTunes or wherever you receive the podcast from and leave a positive review. For those of you that have, you are helping others to find the podcast. 
You can find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page so that it's easier to find later. And if you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they are released and you don't miss out. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Thank you.